Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees, promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Off the Beat and Track podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. If you would have told me three years ago when I launched off the Beaten Track podcast, or even four years ago when I started um, the Hardcore Listing podcast and just decided to to try my arm at at podcasting, that on a Friday night I'd be sitting in my shed talking to one of the Ramones, I'd never have believed you. But it happened. I've just had an absolutely delightful conversation with Richie Ramone, who is... uh, just a wonderful human and uh so open and uh and we go in um it's a slightly different episode ahead of um the 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 podcast generally I send guests the the questions to to pick the tracks and I sent them to Richie and he was like look I'm not really a fanboy of music of certain bands I don't really want to um be doing that can we just talk and I was like, sure. You're one of the Ramones. <laughs> Do what you want. And so it was quite weird. I still tried to kind of sort of mould it a little around the format of the show insofar as, you know, uh, working my way through Richie's life. And, uh, oh, my God. Like, it was it was different, but it was so lovely. And um, when I pressed stop, we carried on chatting. and uh, And, yeah, I was... It was everything I'd hoped it'd be, and uh, and I hope that, in fact, I know you're going to enjoy it because um, he's one of the good ones. Before we press play on that that chat with Richie, I'm uh, I'm going to say a few thank yous. So I want to thank everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network, uh, which is headed up by the Podfather Scroobius Pip. I'd also like to say thank you to the team at the Blue Murder Club podcast, which is a wonderful true crime podcast, and they they produce this show. I want to say thanks to to you lot for continuing to support this podcast and uh and it's just a bonus you know that that you know people listen to this and you know and you send me messages that you know you are enjoying these these podcasts the numbers are growing which is wonderful um but that's just an, an absolute added bonus because I'm so lucky that I get to sit down and press record and and talk to people that I'm a fanboy of, and uh, and and I just want to talk to them about their their creative journey, and and the fact that you've come along for the ride as well is an absolute bonus. So thank you. Um, if it's your first time listening, then hello. Um, we've been doing these podcasts for a long time now, and uh, and there's there's almost 500 episodes. So when you finish today's chat with Richie, go and have a look in the the archives because you can hear me talking to. Um, big American rock bands like the Foo Fighters and Papa Roach, Tommy Lee from Motley Crue. But you can hear me ta- chatting to, to punk bands like uh, No FX. Um, gosh, who else? Butch Vig, who produced Nirvana, Sonic Youth, Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, and then, you know, I've been really lucky to have spoken to, you know, we talk about hip hop a little on this podcast. You know, I've had some great chats with, uh, I've had Chuck D of Public Enemy on this podcast. That's a really good good conversation to be enjoyed and yeah like I say there's hundreds of episodes of all your favorite musicians and actors and comedians and such and DJs so go and have a good explore of the archives when uh, you get to the end of today's episode and look you can support the podcast in 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 a, in a really easy way and that's by becoming a patreon um, and the links are in the show notes uh, or wherever you get this podcast just click the link and it costs a dollar a month and you get loads of stuff. You get invited to the uh, online live shows and 
and you get to watch all the episodes over on Patreon and uh, and you can find out about that and everything else you need to know at offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. I normally break it down a little bit more, but I'm just really keen to get this this episode rolling. Um, I've just literally said goodbye to Richie and, and I'm recording this intro and outro now and, uh, and I'm still absolutely buzzing and uh, yeah, so let's get on with it. Please enjoy. I can't believe I'm saying this. Please enjoy Off The Beat and Track Podcast with Richie Ramone. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Me, stew with him. Okay, in our recording, Richie Ramone. How are you, my friend? Very good. Yourself? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. Where are you today? Right now, I'm in Newbury. Nice. Uh, uh, you know, Claire, my bassist, her mom lives here, so we we came here for a visit. So uh, I just got back from the French Alps because we have a condo over there that we had redone and. So it's been a hectic week, but I go back uh, Sunday. Nice, nice. So, so what's happening musically at the moment? Well, right now, you know, the album's just come out and um, um, people are really digging it. So I'm happy about that. And um, I'm sure we'll start touring again. I know I go to South America in October again, stuff like that. But I'm just taking a little time off. Last year was pretty busy. But uh I'm really pleased the way the record turned out. Did last year kind of get hectic because it was kind of playing catch up from from the lockdown? Did that kind of sort of just obviously put the the brakes on everything? Yeah, well, the, yeah, the lockdown put the brakes on, but it's not really hectic. I do, you know, you know, I do my own thing. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, um, I think a lot of bands, you know, which we're trying to catch up, you know what I'm saying? So you had a book, like, you know, things were getting booked like five months in advance. So, um, so it was a little more difficult, but we did a lot last year. Uh, and it was fun, you know? So, um, I'm really excited now that, you know, now that people have this record, I can't wait to go on tour again because then they could sing along to the songs. Some of the stuff we were playing already, but they didn't never heard it before, you know? Richie, tell me a little bit about the, 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 you know, any real significant change that you've seen in, in making records now to when, you know, if we go back to the, you know, the early 80s when, when you was making records with, you know, with the Ramones first. Like, right. Tell me a little bit about the sort of significant changes that, that, that you've noticed. Well, the biggest change is naturally, you know, not recording to tape anymore, you yeah. know, digital pro tools, um, so that makes it a big, there's a little difference there, you know, in the sound and stuff. Um, but mainly I do the same process that I did in the Ramones. We all get in the room together. Uh, we all play the songs together and, um, and then go back and, you know, once you get the drum track, it goes on from there, you know? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. once the drum track is done, which usually me, I'm really quick, you know, all those Ramones records were first takes maybe a couple songs where I got two takes on them, but, um, so those don't need fixing. That's it. Then you fix the bass and the guitar and then you, you know, do vocals and then you do some overdub guitars to make sure that they don't step on the, um, vocals. But, um, the process is pretty much the same. The editing goes a little quicker because, you know, it's so these guys are really fast, you know, but you still make a, not mixing, but you make the record in a week type of thing, you know. And what about kind of post that? I'm I'm, I'm looking at like the way that people get their music now through mm. you know streaming services like Spotify and things like that. You know, they've only right. been something that's come about now, and 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 just you know the, the 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 things like social media for for marketing records and you know. Whereas I guess back in the day it was like you need to get on radio and then you need to just gig it hard, like. What sort of but, changes have, have you noticed there? Well, back in the day, you you could just go to a radio station and they'll play your record or do whatever. Um, and now there's like real no real radio in the in the states anymore. It's all corporate owned by Clear Channel and stuff like that. Yeah, it's all pre-programmed. There's no way you're going to walk in there and they're going to put on your record. Uh, 
So that's changed a lot. Um, you know, uh, that's been a big change. You know, getting getting airplay is very, very difficult. You know, you're going to, especially this kind of music, you know, it's like rock and roll is probably number four or five in line behind pop and hip hop and rap and, yeah, you know, all those other things. When Back in the 80s, it was number one rock and roll. Yeah. But it isn't anymore, you know, so, uh, but, you know, it is what it is, you know, yeah. and um, I still enjoy it. That's why I do it. And and I still have something to say. So that's important. Once I don't have any of those things anymore, then I'll just stop, you know. But I, I, I enjoy, enjoy touring, too, because I have a lot of friends all over the world, you know, so yeah. it's a lot of fun. And naturally, the other thing is the digital download, you know. A lot of people, are, you know, just download, but, you know, they're missing out on the artwork, you know, luckily for Ramones fans, Ramones fans are collectors. They want it. They want everything. They want to hold it. They want to see the lyrics. They want, you know, they like to collect everything. So you could put it out on clear vinyl. You could put it on a black vinyl. They want to own all of those things. So I'm fortunate that way, but it's basically a world of, uh, you know, download. So it's kind of funny, you know, you, you do all this and make it sound amazing. And all they're doing is listening to this little tiny speaker on the phone yeah. or, or through the pods on their ear. But I was really impressed with the MP3s, the sound when you download this new album, it sounds really, really good. So there's an art to making it sound good on, you know, the download side. It's weird though, Richie, because I think it, it, it's a real catch-22. You know, I, I completely and utterly agree with what you say, that the big one of the big losses with the sort of digital format is album artwork. And nobody knows right. iconic album sleeves more than Ramones, do you know what I mean? But but there's right. so many records that, that in, in some cases, the sleeves are more famous than the bands, do you know what I mean? Right. And like, and you, you can't think of Nirvana without thinking of the baby in the water, you know? And it's, right. there's so many, Bowie, but the, the list goes on. Right. And you don't get that when you look at this tiny little square on your phone when you're pressing right. play. And I think that's a shame. However, the flip side of it is, I do think it's, you know, we've, we've been able to download. I do like the fact that I think it's quite punk insofar as it allows artists to upload music and get their music out there without having to get record deals, without having to, to pay to print records. I, I do think it's got a positive there, but it does also yeah. feel that, you know, you, you just, it's hard. You've, you've then got to work on that marketing because you just get lost in a, a sea of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of right. artists putting music out constantly. It's uh, it's right. really tough, man. And, and it, I, it, It's really tough to get ahead of the pack. There are so many bands now and, you know, so many compared to 30 years ago. It's ridiculous, you know. It's... And but it's great for the artists and the new bands and the kids starting out because they do have a platform where they can put their music, you know, and get ahead as opposed to going around with a cassette and shopping it, you know, yeah. trying to get a deal. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's no more like, you know, back in the day, it used to be cool. It'd be like, oh, the A&R guys coming from Capitol Records. We got to do a good show tonight. You know, like there'd be scouts out all over town looking for bands. There's really nothing like that anymore. Yeah, it's all, you know, and you'd get uh, you'd get demo deals where they sign you and give you money to make a record. Nah, that don't happen anymore. You have to make the record, complete the record, mix the record, do the whole product, the artwork, and then you shop the deal. Yeah, you know, they basically give you nothing. You know, maybe small amounts of money, but on the flip side of that is I own all the masters, so. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, you know, no one can, can, you know, they can't say no, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, so it has its good and it's bad. And it's just, you know, it's just the way uh, everything is right now. There's yeah. a lot of good and bad things about the world right now, you yeah. know, and, but what are you going to do? You can't fight it. I'm not going to fight it. And I like all types of music, you know, just cause rock and roll is that the main thing, you know? I listen to all stuff from, you know, Snoop Dogg to everything, you know. I, I find interest in all kinds of music, and that's kind of where I guess I get some of my style from because 
I'm not just slave to, you know, oh, I only listen to punk rock or, you know, that type of thing, you know, which I think all musicians should listen to all kinds of music. Let it all get in your brain and then let it come out, you know, in your in your way. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I can see the parallels between punk rock and, and hip hop. Do you know what I mean? It was urban music made by, by you know, poor kids that had something to say that was completely anti-establishment. Do you know what I mean? I think like, right. and and as a drummer, you know, surely, mm-hmm. Richie, you know, you must you must like hip hop because hip hop is fundamentally right. it's drums, right? It's all drums. Right. I remember back in the day when it, the early days when they just used the drum machine on yeah. it. And I always said, God, why don't they, man, if, you know, because uh, why don't they use a real drummer just laying down that beat, you know? And yeah. that's what they do now. Um, because uh, I don't know. It's, it's way better. It's hard to do shows. Drumming is a very visual thing up there, you know. And if you uh, if you have a band and there's no drummer, it's kind of a weird looking thing. So now they all use drummers, and just lock down that beat. You got to have a groove. Drumming is all about the groove. It's not about you know uh, what kind of fill you could put in there. Who cares about that? You know, it's nice to know those fills, but you know, I I find too many guys just do too much of it and really don't hold the groove like a Charlie Watts or someone like that, you know, who's just, who, who, who just molds all this together. You know what I'm saying? Knows where to play something and what not to play, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Everything today is like double bass drum pedal, like as fast as you can make your feet go, you know? (laughs) Richie, I want to, I want to go back a little bit and, and, and and sort of uh, understand your story a little bit. And tell me a little bit about, um, where you grew up and 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 um, was home a musical place growing up yes well i grew up in Passaic, new jersey which is probably about 10 miles from new york city you know and um what was musical in my home is my parents you know i grew up in the 60s uh, i have four other siblings and they had every child learn an instrument because they felt that gave them a sense of responsibility, you know, practice and, you know, because we didn't have the internet or nothing like that. So like my sister took up the flute, my other sister took up the clarinet, somebody played the piano, but they didn't stay with it. You know, I stayed with the drums and my older brother, you know, he plays all instruments, but he was, he mainly played sax and went to college as, you know, uh, um, a music major and stuff like that. But so that was kind of cool. And, but growing up, I always, I always was beating on my chest and by, I guess, third or fourth grade, I already had a drum teacher and, you know, I was already learning drums. So I've been playing drums well, 50 years already. So <laughs> it's, uh, so I guess you can call it a musical family. There was no, I think there was uh, one of my father's cousins or something was a musician. I don't know, but but we had music in our family. And what was great is that my parents always had parties and they always had a free band, you know. My brother would play and I would play and, you know, so it was kind of fun. Can you remember, like, the sort of first sort of music that, that you would hear that, that would resonate with you? Well, the like... Uh, the thing is, like my dad always said, you're five years ahead of your time. Because when I was eight, my brother was 13, 14. He was buying the record. So, you know, in the late 60s, um, music was changing. Every day there'd be a new sound coming out or new bands. And being that he was a horn player, I wasn't just listening to Cream or, you know, Ginger Baker or that or any of that stuff there was more you know cool in the gang in the 70s and all that kind of stuff so i had such a big background of music um that you know it was amazing you know and um but as far as drummers when it caught my ear when that first led zeppelin album came out and i heard john bonham play uh, that was really uh that that was i changing for me you know how he used his bass drum you know it was almost like he had three hands you know his syncopation was so amazing and the way he played the drums he made him sing you know um 
I don't want to get too carried away on this subject, but, you know, drumming isn't about, so you could put John in a room, you know, you don't hit the cymbals as hard as you hit everything else. You know what I'm saying? It's like he, he used far away miking. So you had to make the instrument sound, you know, even all around the way the snare was and the toms and the cymbals instead of just smashing everything to death, you know, you had to make it all come together because he didn't put close mics on things. He used far away miking. And um, uh, so I got a lot of technique from that. So you could put a drum kit in the room and it should sound musical. You should be able to, it should sound musical to your ear. It shouldn't be like the snare drum blowing your ear off with the cymbals. It should be all, you know, musically combined, you know? Yeah. It's an, an acoustic instrument, you know? But, Today, now, everything is close mic and everything, so you don't need to do that, really. Yeah. You know? Was, by the time you got to school, was was music something that was encouraged at school? Was it encouraged in school? Um, well, yeah, I guess so. Um, from, like, you know, kindergarten or first grade, at recess, they had this dirty box in the corner. And it's got recess and everybody would go in there and there were like plastic instruments and stuff. And kids would pick up a little trumpet to blow on and we'd march around. I always would pick up like the sand blocks or something that made a rhythmic pattern. But, um, you know, and then as time goes on, when you get to junior high school and high school, yeah, music was a big part of my life. I played in big bands, you know, I played jazz. I played all kinds of stuff. I learned to read music at an early age, which... A lot of drummers don't really do anymore, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, so, so I did all of that difficult stuff and ended up being in the Ramones. <laughs> but the thing is, I had that all in the back of my head, you know, so I could play that beat and make it swing, you know, yeah, like. Yeah that's that's important no matter what you're playing it swings you know like it's not stiff yeah. you know my, my my meter was fantastic and um so all of that knowledge you know really came in handy you know what i'm saying yeah was there any question as to what you wanted to do when you was growing up was music always going to be what you wanted to do probably yeah i think you, you hit it on the head that was pretty much it um i remember you know I didn't go to university because I went right on the road. I just wanted to do music. My, you know, my my parents said, "All right, if that's what you want to do." You know, I don't know if that was the wisest thing. You know, because uh, the music business is a tough life. But I went right on the road playing in cover bands and stuff like that at 17 years old. You know, so um, but it was kind of everything. I, you know, it really took a hold of me hard. You know, my father had his own landscaping business. I could have took over that. Uh, you know, he had a big business like that. I didn't want it. And I guess it went to my cousin, you know, bought it. I just, I, music was everything to me, you know? No. But that, that's, so, that's, I mean, that's really cool. I mean, that, that. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's not many parents that would get their son a drum kit because that's the noisiest thing and the last thing you want in your house. And like, right. you know, they get their kid a drum kit and then they encourage their kid to, to pursue what he wants to do. Right. I mean, that's great, right? Yeah, they didn't care. I set that up in the basement with big, big, giant speakers. And I would, you know, I would play to all these bands, you know, the music on from the records, you know, I put on records and play to all those songs and play the beats. It was it was a lot of fun. They never complained about that at all, ever, ever, ever. Yeah. So yeah, that was kind of cool. T- tell me yeah. a little bit about you know, sort of post post school when when punk rock started, and tell me how you first kind of found yourself embroiled well, in that. You know, for a long time, like you know, well, you know, when the Ramones came out seventy five or punk rock, you know. I wasn't on that scene because I was a little young, you know, five, six younger th- years younger than those guys. But I wasn't on that scene because my older brother wasn't a guitar player in the MC5. You know, he was a horn player. So naturally, uh, those records weren't coming through through the door, you know. And um, But I, I always have a funny story. Uh, I guess I was 18. And I took some friends who I knew from high school in Dover, New Jersey, to see this new thing, the Ramones, in 1975, I think it was, you know. And um, I still remember this day sitting by the soundboard going, wow, and listening to I Want to Be Your Boyfriend. And this was really cool. And everybody else there was like, well, come on, let's get out of here. We got to go. And, <laughs> and uh, because you remember at that time it was arena rock and we were yeah. listening to Yes. We were listening to Yes, Roundabout and things like that. And this was totally different than that, but it really it really caught my eye. But then I still continued playing in cover bands and um, never, I really was never a, a fanboy of anything really. I just made my own way. Like I really didn't hang posters in my wall or stick to one type of thing. I knew two drummers that I loved, Buddy Rich and John Bonham. They were my, you know, you know, idols and stuff like that. And um but uh and it and it and just it just went from there, you know. I mean um and then how I how the 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 band happened well, it was finally when I finally stood you know, one day I said, all right that's it. Now I want to play original music. I want to get an original band. How old, and was, that's you? When, How old was you then, Richie? Right. Huh? How old was you then, Richie? How old was I then? Um, 20, maybe? Yeah. 20, I said, now nah, I want to be original band. And that's when I made no more money. Then I went broke. Okay? <laughs> I couldn't make money off of music. So I, I, I started looking at ads and you know, got in the original bands and started doing that kind of stuff and getting into New York City. And then I finally moved to New York City. And that was a game changer to me when I moved to the East Village in New York City when I was like uh, 22, maybe 20, 22 or something. Um, then I was exposed to all this stuff, you know, going from the punk rock to that whole scene. You know what I'm saying? It changed everything for me. Um but uh, but before that, no, I was still listening to different types of music and and playing in cover bands, you know. Yeah. T- tell me a little bit about um, what it was like, you know, getting to you know East Village then, and because as you know, in the UK, you know, we've got our own sort of view of 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 you know what happened in seventy seven in the UK with the Pistols and stuff and. Right. And it's all, you know, as you look back, it's always, you know, much more sort of colourful and, and 
the, the you know the UK was in a really bad place in 1977. But when right. when we see what was going on and we see the you know the footage of you know the Ramones and Talking Heads and Blondie and television and all this stuff, it looks so exciting. It you know as a Brit, you know they're bands that that I'm drawn to, and and that scene looks so exciting. It was. It was. Exciting. Is it? Is it everything that it, it, people say it is? And more. Everything and more. Yeah. I mean, the East Village was just this melting pot of people. Uh, the rents were cheap. You know, the housing was small. You had, like, rats living there. You know, it was like, you know, really living in the hood. But, boy, it was all condensed, so you could just walk around, like, sort of like Camden was back in the day where you could walk around and yeah. uh, and uh, see people on the street all night long. But it was exciting, especially those days when, you know, you know, I remember when Tom Petty opened up for the Ramones and things like that, you know, there's, and, and Blondie, they all was, they all surpassed that band eventually. But um, uh, it was, it was really exciting. And, you know, I think that's the difference of, being there, you know, I was there more in, you know, the late 70s, early 80s, but that was still a time when things were still happening. Now today, when the kids are doing punk rock, it's really just a copy and emulation of that, They, which they do a great job of. I'm not taking anything away from anybody, but, you know, back in the 70s and the early 80s, we were actually living and breathing that. You know what I'm saying? It was like real, you know? I mean, so that was the difference about it. But the scene was exciting. Uh, it was just, God, it was a wonderful place to grow up as a as a teenager, as a young 20, in your 20s, you know? It taught you a lot about life and taught you a lot about, you know, um, like I wouldn't want to, I don't know if I would want to have grown up like in the middle of Arkansas or like one of these weird places or even California where I live now, you know, New York city was really an amazing, amazing spot to give you a uh, integrity and to teach you about life. You learned yeah. a lot about life walking on those streets, you know, I'm sure you have places like that in England back in the day, yeah. but, uh, um, it taught me a lot, you know, and was the Ramones you, taught me a lot. Was you confident before you moved there, or did you feel that you gained confidence from from living there? Because you know you, you you've played on huge stages to, to to thousands and thousands of people, which to to most people seems like something that you know they could never do. It would it would be alien well, the concept of walking on stage and 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 you know and playing for people. You know, have you always had a level of confidence, or did that grow when you moved to East Village? No, always. I always knew I was good. Yeah. You know, I don't want my head to, you know, I always knew I was special. Yeah. I always knew I had that it factor, the IT factor, that there was something, you know, that, you know, even like walking into the Ramones to the audition that I had to do for them. I didn't know them before I had an audition and I knew I was good and I knew I would, you know, kill that audition and I did and I got the job, you know? Yeah. So it was, uh, I was always very confident because I, I started at a young age. And you got to remember, I was already playing live at 12 years old yeah. in the Catskills and different places because my brother was 16 and 17. And I was up, I never had to work at Burger King or McDonald's or nothing because I would play on weekends in my brother's band playing, whether it be weddings or the nightclubs or stuff like that. I used to have a special card. It's called an ABC card that would let you go into a place that served liquor at a young age like that, you know? So, so that's another thing, you know, I had the experience of playing live from a young age, you know, because you can't get that out of a book, you yeah. know, you have to, you have to actually do it, you know, and, um, and listen, you know, always listen to the other musicians around you, which too many times people are caught listening to themselves play as opposed to listening to, the other musicians in the band, like when I'm playing, I'm not listening to me. I'm listening to everybody else. Yeah. You know. T tell tell me a little bit about that uh, that audition, if you don't mind, Richie. Like, what what are your sort of memories of it? Well, well, I can remember it exactly. You know, 
It's all in my book. I might as well mention that. I know better now in my autobiography. It's a great, great book. You can get that on Amazon. But um, the um, I, um, Larry, a friend of mine, was the drum roadie for the Ramones. And I saw him one night, and we were hanging out in Brooklyn. I said, oh, you got to go where you're going. Oh, the Ramones are auditioning drummers, he said. I said, what? I said, well, put, you know, tell them about me. You know, I was in a band, Velveteen, put my name in the hat. So maybe a week later or so, I got a phone call from Monty, the tour manager. I still have that cassette tape from 1982 or late 82. Uh, hi, this is uh, Monty, the tour manager. We'd like you to come and audition, learn, you know, three or four songs, you know. And so... Um, I was like, holy man, this is amazing. So I learned the songs and went down. I remember another drummer coming out. I don't know who it was. And they called my name and I went in there and I walked in. Joey wasn't there. The room smelled like weed, you know, which I, <laughs> you know, I guess Didi was smoking away. And I walked in there. They I arranged the drums. They said, you ready? And they said, what? Okay. Oh. What do you want to do? I said, okay, let's play Blitzkrieg Bop. And uh, we went into it. They went, oh, good. Played, played three or four songs. Said, thanks a lot. And left, you know. And um, and uh, then um, they invited me back and then back another time. So uh, it was exciting. You know, next time Joey came down and so it was basically like any other blind audition, you know? Yeah. I, you know, but I was lucky to be in the right place at the right time and know somebody because it wasn't an advertised thing in a, in a newspaper, you know? And, um, and look at that. Look how it changed my life. Here I am, 66 years old, and uh, uh, I owe everything. I'm blessed that I was in that band, just blessed, you know? You talk about the longevity in the in the industry. You know, you, you know, you just dropped a new record, and mm -hmm. I, I think you know, being uh, you know a solid drummer and and having that confidence that you you know that you said you had, all of that's good. But I think drive is really important as well, and that that kind of to have that drive to keep moving, to keep moving forwards. Would you say you're a driven person, Richie? Well, I hope so. Yeah, I don't, you know, if I sit around too much, it messes with my head, you know? Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm a big thinker, you know, and then I start thinking too much and, you know, it's just bad. It's just bad energy. So, yeah, I'm driven, you know. I, I knew I could do it and, you know, uh, um, and for a while I stopped there, you know, after the after I left the band, it was like really ten years. I didn't really play drums. I I I said, "Oh, that's it. I'm done." I tried playing in other bands. I moved to Los Angeles, and you know, it was like ah, it can never be the same as the Ramones. And I stopped. And then um, after all that time, something was eating at me. Like, what's the matter with me? Am I sick? Or you know, and this never felt right. And it was you know, I was missing the fans, I was missing all of that excitement and energy of playing live. And I went to the first Joy Ramon birthday batch, which today, which is ironic, is his birthday. The big parties in New York City, you know, they have it every May 19th in his honor. I think it's the 22nd birthday bash. I played a bunch of those. And um, his brother invited me down. I played that. And then I went the next year and I was like, wow. Um, you know, people start to say, man, you're good still, you know, you should make a record, you know? And I was like, what? I don't know how to make a record or anything. So I eventually wrote my first album and then the second and now the third. And each one has, you know, gotten better. And basically I'm a new artist because I'm basically, I'm the singer, you know what I'm saying? So live, I play some drums and sing, but I have another drummer who comes on tour because I have to front the band too. You can't sit behind the drum kit be behind, you know, 25 feet back 
in the dark, you yeah. know, and, and, and do all that, you know, you have to entertain the crowd. So I'm basically, you know, I'm the front man now as an entertainer and play some drums for the drummers who like my drumming, you know, so I have to do a little of both. I mean, how is that to, to, to sort of, you know, return to music and, you know, always being that guy that was kind of, as you said, sort of set back a little bit from, you know, the, the, the guys right at the front to then find yourself, you're out there on your own up the front. Did you feel the pressure on that? Uh, again, no, because um, when I do something... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You have to know in this world what's good and bad. You have to know what a good song is what a bad song is. You have to know, you just have to know these things, you know? And I kind of have that where I know what I'm doing is right and it's good. And, you know, every night I come off that stage, I hear people tell me that's the best show I saw in 20 years or that was amazing. Night after night after night after night. Even though, you know, I don't draw big audiences, you know, it's not like, you know, I'm the Foo Fighters. It's not that type of thing. I don't do that kind of music. But, you know, get, finding my voice and everything was really amazing. And it's, uh, um, you know, growing as a singer, yeah. you know, was really huge. And this is probably my best because, I, you know, I, I quit smoking like four years ago or five. And, I mean, my vocal chops have just gotten so great. And either you like my voice or you hate my voice. It's one of those things. Yeah. But I learned a long time from a producer, well-known producer, Dave Jordan. He says, if you can get 50% of the people to love you and 50% to hate you, you're doing amazing. Yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. that's my thing. I, I do the 50-50 thing. So, you know, um, it's great, you know, but I always was confident. I never had that. Yeah. I never had that worry. And like I said now, if I ever lose my edge or I feel it's not working or, you know, I'm losing some of the energy because these sets are still like an hour and 10 minutes with the encores. You still put a lot of energy out there. Yeah. You know, I still have to entertain. I'm not a front man who does cartwheels or stuff like that. Yeah. I'm more of a, you know, I'm just strolling along there with my mic stand, you know, and, you know, a swagger front man. I'm yeah. not going to you know, do David Lee Roth jumps or nothing. <laughs> Cause that's, that's not even in me. You know, yeah. that's not me. What you see on that stage is who I am when I get off the stage. Yeah. So it's real, and the people know that. You know, these I call them kids, even though my fans are you know forty years old and up. You know, but they 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 know if you're faking it or yeah. something like that. But they know I'm genuine, and that's that's how I, it works for me. You know, you have to be genuine. Absolutely, Richie. I've got a couple more questions for you. Sure. Um, I, I, I generally ask guests about um, clubbing, and that can be dive bars, that can be disco clubs, that can be any kind of clubbing. But I'm, I'm just very curious to know what was what was going at, you know, in the early '80s in New York, because everything was happening in the in the yeah. early '80s in New York. And 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 I'm a, I'm a club promoter. I've spoke to you before, and I said I'm having some issues at my club. But um, that you know, I, I look at that that point then that kind of sort of end of the 70s early 80s in new york as one of the most exciting times for for clubs for both 
rock and roll and for for disco and for hip hop and for everything yeah. you know the, the evolution of electronic music as well there was so much going on mm-hmm. how was it for you when back then yeah yeah oh it was fabulous i mean we used to go out i remember this one club we used to go to you know was reggae music and it was so dark in there i think it was one like light bulb hanging from the ceiling you could barely see in there and you know Plus, it was a whole different time with the girls and everything, you know. It was just like, it was the Wild West, you know. Like today, there's so many rules about everything, you know. There's so many rules. There, were, there weren't any rules then, you know. It was just do your thing and have a good time, you know. Yeah. But we'd go experience all different kinds of music. I mean, the Long Star Cafe down the block, you know, tiny little club. That's why I saw James Brown, you know, and... um things like that you know it's how just, was uh, that how was that rich i gotta ask you because as a as a drummer james brand's drummers they've got to be good right ah, there's your groove <laughs> and, got, and you know and they have the mc standing on the side hit it james go you know like he just <laughs> talk through there and i was only like you know 10 feet from him i mean it was a small place you know the bar's right there and he was on this small stage there doing his thing you know um it was amazing so there was all different kinds of music. You'd bump into, you know, there was another bar called uh, One University that we used to go a lot to. And, uh, you know, Keith Richards and Mick Jagger, they had an apartment upstairs. I remember bumping to them on the street at different times, you know, carrying bagfuls of bottles of liquor and stuff like that, you know. The, the village was really uh, just a special place. Today, now it's just five million dollar condos and all cleaned up you wouldn't even know it's the same place anymore you know you know but yeah the scene of the clubs you can go to all kinds of music all the time and we did experience all that you know but was just it was just wild like i don't know i you know i don't know if it's i'm older now i just felt like you could get away with so much stuff then you know you could be such a bad boy in those days you know yeah just just you know without really you know not doing harm to people you know what i'm saying just getting drunk and high and just having a good time and nobody really bothering you you know or watching you or you know today i have to watch everything i do everybody's got a camera all of a sudden a picture pops up of you you know they're all like shooting pictures wherever you go and things like that you know it's it's different, you know. Yeah. People aren't walking around with cameras on their phones, so you you have to protect yourself a little because. Uh, but then you didn't have to do anything, you know. It's, it's it such... was a great time to grow up. I tell you, it was a great time to grow up and a great place to grow up, you know. I, I listened to um, an interview with Noel Gallagher from the band Oasis the other day, and he was okay. and he was doing a retrospective look back at um, their. Uh, they're, they're sold out two nights at Nebworth in the mid-90s. Okay. Uh, I think they were the biggest gigs in UK history at the time. And uh, and he said, they said to him, like, you know, what, what do you think made them gigs? Like, so why do people still talk about them gigs now? Them two gigs, like, what, what, you know? And he went, no one had camera phones. No one had phones. Right. Everybody yeah. was in the moment. Nobody right. was filming. Nobody was looking at texts. Nobody was on social media. Everybody was connecting with the band. And I just thought, do you know, I'd never thought that. Like Today, everybody's like this. Yeah. So, you know, like they think they could stand there and film my whole show, you know. Yeah. I give them like five minutes. And then I tell them, you know, put that, you know, put that. You can't just stand there and record the, the show. You know, what is that? Get you in know? the moment. Do you know what I mean? You know. Well, I take their camera and I shoot the audience. They love that. And I give it back to them. But they're all just like filming. It's different. Another great thing. You know, I saw the class at Bonds. People still talk about that show. Bonds in New York City in the 80s. That was one. The floor was shaking so much. It thought it was going to like, you know, it's on the second floor. You know, we thought the floor was going to go through. That was an amazing show. So all these bands were coming and the invasion from Britain, too. When I started hearing the psychedelic furs and the way the drumming started to, you know, um, um, be much more on meter and precise, you know, uh, 
like with the furs and all that. And, you know, like I remember uh, Dave Stewart from the Eurythmics, he did produce one song with the Ramones. And when during my tenure, we never used a click track. And he said, well, I want to use a click because I want to add a synthesizer. I said, no, nah, we're not going to do that. And he called me the human drum machine because I was like one, I think one beat per minute different from the start to the end. One beat per minute. That's like ridiculous, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it. I learned how to keep, you know, keep time perfectly, uh, which is another important thing, you know? A lot of drummers tend to like pull away in choruses and then pull back on the verses. It's just constant tug of war. You never heard that in the Ramones. It was like, the, the you know the drummer's the conductor you know and when i would play with them it would, it would be like you know it'd be one two three four i just go and what made our lineup so special was i was going down the train track and holding that time signature perfectly and johnny would be around ahead or behind and did it the same way so they were all just a little a little off in the Ramones thing, which made this big sound, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, people try to, the Ramones cover bands, they're all going, gah, 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 trying to make it so tight, it sounds like a machine. Well, we weren't like that, you know? The strumming was different. Like, there was always, gene, 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 gene. It wasn't going, gene, 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 gene. They all think it was just constant 16th notes, you know? And it wasn't, you know? So holding that middle down and letting them all float around me was perfect, you know? It would be like, come on, come and catch me. And it just worked, you know. It was a very, very powerful lineup, that lineup, you know, and um, completely different lineup than when they first started, different sound. Um, but anytime you change drummers, the sound of the band's going to change. There's no doubt about it. You know, it's just whether it's for better or worse or neither, just different, you know, yeah. it just becomes different. Like Tommy was, Tommy was more like a Charlie Watts drummer, you know, who, you know, wasn't beating like that, you know what I'm saying? Which gave it that real early raw punk sound, you know? Then as time moved on, you know, and during my tenure, then hardcore was coming out and, you know, we were playing faster because kids liked it, you know? And it, was, it, was a, it wasn't on purpose. It was just subconscious that we ended up playing fast. It wasn't like that, you know, that we made a, con a conscious effort of it. But it was... I don't know. It was just, you know, I keep thinking, you know, well, was that because, you know, I was 25, you know, yeah. was that the reason? I don't think it was just because I was 25. I just think it was the, that was what the time was. And, you know, at that time, you know, I read that Joey said that you saved the band when you joined. Like, what do you yeah. think he meant by that? And what, what do you think you done that, 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 oh. that, you know, that saved the band? Who could do who? I mean, what a, what a compliment who could uh, say that about somebody. Oh, it's, it's amazing. What he meant was, you know, here I come, you know, kid from New Jersey suburbs. Well, I was living in New York at the time, but I came in, I bought peace from everybody. When he, a new member comes in, everybody was on their best behavior then, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And um, I bought new blood. I bought new energy. You know, they wanted to, you know, they were getting sleepy. They had like, you know, pleasant dreams. They had one, you know, one or two albums before uh, Too Tough to Die. They, you know, they weren't sure what they were going, you know. And um, I just bought a new sound and new energy. And um, it worked. And Too Tough to Die is like, a, was an amazing record, the first one that I did with them. And, um, and Joey was, you know, such a sweetheart i owe it all to him he embraced me with open arms from the first time i met him uh, i was in that band four years and ten months i think we were together every day four years and ten months i mean we always were together whether we were touring or whether we were hanging out at night every night and um he always encouraged me you know he was like richie we're doing a record start writing you know no yeah write a song write some song write some songs. He wanted me to sing. He used to call me Phil Collins because I could sing and I could play drums and I could write songs. So, you know, he wasn't the type of guy, you know, some lead singers are like, stay in the background, you know, don't, you know, 
don't take away from my show, you know, yeah. and I'm, you know what I'm saying? He wasn't like that. He, he pushed me and uh, just, just a wonderful guy, you know? So I owe, I owe a lot to him for making me feel so comfortable right from the beginning and encouraging me to do more and do more, you know? Richie, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you okay. about about records, man, and, and to spend some time listening to your story. Um, yeah. I want to, just before we wrap things up, um, just talk a, a little bit more again about uh, sure. the new record. So what can people expect from it, Richie? Oh, gosh. Um, what can you expect? You can expect you're finally going to hear, you know, I'm Richie Ramone. I'm not the Ramones. So you're going to hear Richie Ramone, what Richie Ramone's sound is. You know, it's all over this record. This record uh, talks a lot about mental health, <laughs> um, which a lot of people struggle with depression, addiction, you know, stuff like suffocate, you know, that, um, you know, some of the lyric in there is I need a straight jacket to force me into a hug, just trying to find self-love. I have to squeeze so hard that my ribs break, you know, stuff like that. There's all, everything is about certain um, things that I go through, you know, different things of not feeling great, maybe not wanting to get out of bed that day, you know, or, you know, there's a lot of, you know, the times where COVID, COVID really uh, got got me depressed for a long time. I was, you know, you go online on Facebook and you see everybody, oh, we're making records and using this time for this. Geez, I don't know if I left the bed for five months during COVID. Yeah. It was so horrible. You know, it affected me differently than other people. And, um, but mental health is such a huge thing. People are writing to me now, like they're finally getting these lyrics and, you know, going, oh man, I'm so glad you talked about that, you know, because I struggle with this too. And so the lyrics are fantastic. I think the record's great. Um, uh, it's just an all around good record. I don't know if you heard any of it yet, but it's, um, it's, I don't know. I, I, what do you what do you i don't know how to answer that question really you know uh, you don't sit here, just sit here and toot your own horn sure you just need to get the record if you can't buy it just download it for 8.99 it's a wonderful wonderful album and uh um lyrically it's fantastic that's why it took me a bunch of years you know i just don't write songs you know it's the songs that have meaning and you know, the lyrics are very important to me and what I'm talking about, you know, and uh, stories like Live to Tell, you know, the cover of that record. I don't know if you saw the cover. You must have saw the cover. People wonder well, what that is. Well, that's, you know, I was ready to go on tour. And, you know, I, I went for a physical for something. A doctor called me three days later, said, you're not going anywhere. You have a 6.2 aneurysm right below your belly button. And that's what that picture is, that big, that's the veins in my artery. And that swelling thing is, is, you know, it's like a bicycle tube when, you know, it swells up. Yeah. So, then, so it was ready to blow up. I was going to, you know, Czech Republic and everywhere. And if it blows up, you're dead. You know, there's a 1% chance of living. So I was very fortunate about that. That's where that title came from, Live to Tell. And, you know, uh, so... It's all personal. I write. I'm not a political writer. I I have to write songs, stuff that I've experienced or stuff that I've gone through or things that I've saw. That's where I get my stories from. You know, I can't just make them up. So, so they're real when I sing them. You know what I'm saying? We're um we're recording this uh, in the UK. It's um Mental Health Awareness Week. And uh, oh. and it, it's something very dear to me. I, I, I work for a suicide prevention charity called Reach Out oh, for Mental okay. Health, and uh, and I've been having a lot of conversations uh, with a lot of people this week um, about that. And I think it's fantastic, Richie, that people in your position um, mm -hmm. come on podcasts with people like me that you've never met me before, and you've you know instantly show that vulnerability of saying, "Look, you know, I've I've struggled with my mental health. You know, I want to write about yeah. it. I want to talk to people about it." Um, because it's yeah. it's actions like that that, that that makes you know 
change and, and makes other people speak to other people is so important. Yeah, it's huge, you know, it's huge. And and especially now, I think, you know, I think the world has changed so much since, you know, I keep, there's still little bits of COVID still around, but the things have changed so much. You know, I think a lot of people have long-term COVID that they don't even know they have, you know. I think it's changed things in their brain and their body. We don't even know to this day, but I just find every everybody's a little more angst now it's just not it's a little different place you know uh and you know and i just want i just want people to know that you know you're not alone with all this kind of stuff and you know from addictions to to all these type of things you know you're not alone you know like you know you know like the other song old ways you know you know back to my old ways only took a couple days you know you try to quit something and boom you're back there so it's going to touch a lot, of, a lot, a lot of people. And uh, so it's exciting. And that really wasn't the intent. You know, it's not like, well, I'm going to do a record like that. Yeah. Again, it's just what comes out. Like people go, you know, like, you know, a lot of people, they hear a song and they want to write a song like that. I don't do any of that stuff. You know, I, this just all comes from inside, you know, so. And that, all musicians should learn that. Don't just try to, you know, oh, you heard a song by this band, you want to do a song like that. Because that's all that's going to do for you. There's no satisfaction there. And if you have, you know, maybe maybe you have a hit, it's a satisfaction because you, you know, copied someone else's sound or whatever. But my sound is very unique. And I think on this record, the third one, you know, Cellophane, my last album was great. But on this record, you really hear my sound because um, what you hear on that record is what you're going to hear live, you know? Yeah. People come up to me and go, oh, my God, you sound just the same as your record, you know, like the singing thing. So, yeah. and see, and this is difficult for me, too, because I hate tooting my own horn. It's very uncomfortable for me to um, talk about that. It's very uncomfortable for me to accept compliments, you yeah. know, things like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just feel like, you know, like, thank you very much, you know, type of thing. But I don't want, you know, it affects me differently than, you know, other people running around who think they're like, you know, the greatest thing that walked on the earth, you know. I just don't have any of that, yeah. you know. So, And it, it'll show on this record. So I'm really excited. It's a baby record. It's only been out a month or so. And it's doing really well. So that's all. I can't, you know, I can't control who buys it or who's the masses who do it. All I know is I want to put out something that I know is good, but going back to knowing what is good and what is bad, you know, like, you know, no one can listen to this and go, oh, this is, oh, what, a, what a piece of junk this record is. It's impossible to say that about that. Yeah. You know, John was like, you know, he was blown away. You know, he wanted to put it out right away when he saw me in London last year, you know, so, uh, so I thank him for that too. And I'm happy with that. And, uh, everything's just good now. So good. You know, I'm really happy. I'm happy for this interview and, you know, just to plug my book, you know, or richieramone.com, go to richieramone.com and see all the other things during COVID. I got into acting. So I've been doing some acting. I've been in a couple of movies now which is a whole nother world, which we can do in our next talk. Yeah, but um, absolutely. it's, it's, uh, you know, I always thought, you know, it's a bunch of stiffs actors, but they're crazier than rock and rollers. Let me yeah. tell you, <laughs> they're insane. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> That's a Ramon saying that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I fit right in with them, you know? <laughs> Richie, I'm going to put the um, the, the website address in the show notes to this podcast so everybody oh, can fabulous. go and uh, and click it and go and check out everything that you're up to. Um, yeah, honestly, there's mate. A big, uh, there's a big article I did with Viva La Rock, which is coming out right now next week, so people should pick that up. I'm in that issue. Uh, talks about the album and stuff. So, uh, cool. Richie. Thank you. Thank you, mate. I've, I've had such a lovely time, and, and it's been really nice that you've given up your time to come and talk to me thank you so much yeah next time i'm out here we'll, we'll get together okay yeah let's do that 
I'm going to press All stop. Right. Don't go anywhere. All right. Box ticked. Oh, my God. Just chatted to a Ramon. Chatted to a Ramon about music for nearly an hour. Um, it's now quarter past eight on a Friday night, and I've got to go to work now. Um, I'm going to be beaming all night. Um, yeah. Do you know what he done afterwards? He done something really nice. He went, do you want some station IDs? And I went... I don't know what that means, sorry. And it's them little... Oh, I'm presuming a lot of you know what they mean. It's them little shout-outs. So I've got a nice little audio thing of saying, hey, I'm Richie Ramone from the Ramones. Check out Off The Beaten Track podcast. He even done one for the Pink Toothbrush for me. Um, and then we chatted more. Um, uh, uh, you know, you could... You could uh, you know, I imagine you could tell that he was very passionate about talking about mental health. And as I sort of touched upon, I've done a lot of that this week. And... Uh, I'm, we, we spoke about Richie coming on and, and talking, you know, maybe uh, a little bit further about that on, on the Reach Out for Mental Health um, podcast. So um, I'll keep you updated if if, uh, if that comes to fruition. I hope it does. Um, but, yeah, oh, thank you ever so much for listening. Um, yeah, I'm a very happy boy right now. Um, have a lovely uh, day. Whenever you listen to this, have a lovely evening, and uh, and I'll be back next time. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.